Hi, I'm Paul Handy, the editor of the Church Times, and this is Church Times Month. Um, it's not something we've done before because we don't often ask our readers to do anything for us, but this time round we have produced some leaflets, uh, we've made our website completely free, uh, and we're simply asking readers to help us get the news of the Church Times to new people. The leaflets are very easy to get. If you just email subs at churchtimes.co.uk saying how many you want and where you want them, uh, we can send them out. As for the, the website, every story is free, so please pass them on to uh, anybody you know uh, once, you've, once you've read them, obviously. It's just a big ask from us, um, but we hope it's not too onerous for people to talk about the paper just for this month. Thank you very much. Hello, this is Sarah Merrick with the Church Times Books podcast, and I'm absolutely delighted to say I'm in conversation today with Tish Delaney, the author of Before My Actual Heart Breaks, the book we've chosen as this month's book club title. So Tish, welcome. Um, congratulations on the book, which I loved. Could we start by you telling us something about the book? I mean, we will try and avoid spoilers, but can you give people who haven't read it yet a bit of a flavour um, of the of the story, what it's about? I'd love to. Thank you, Sarah. And thanks for inviting me on. Um, the book is um, the book is technically a love story, but not in the tradition and not in any way a traditional sense. When I was trying to um, get across the the sort of the, the the tribulation shall we say of living in Northern Ireland when I was a young woman I just thought that doing it through the eyes of a love story would be a good uh, method because one of the very strange things that it's difficult to understand if you're not brought up in a in a background like that is just how very very ordinary life is you have all of the same problems especially when you're young you want to go out you want to go to the dances you want to meet someone you know you're madly in love whatever and you but you have to do that with the background to violence and a danger but um in this in this particular book uh mary the the, the character doesn't even get that far you know she gets away from home once and that's a that was a huge deal even then uh away from a very strict catholic uh, family and you know gets into trouble i don't think that spoils anything and then it's how her life unfolds so um yeah and and that's it is it uh, as i say it's it's very it's not a traditional it's not a traditional romantic love story it's yeah. a it's a very sort of isolated life it's difficult to get across how lonely the the countryside in west Tyrone is it's very dark the weather is atrocious obviously backs onto Donegal and so it, it's a very um, insular place it's very cut off and of course then we were doubly cut off because of the border so you were basically between a rock and a hard place so we lived when I was a child we lived very close to the border as described in the book mm. and um, and so you had this like sort of sensation that you you couldn't move freely in any way physically mentally mostly or indeed uh, spiritually so that's what I was trying to get across that's like claustrophobia and that was yeah. one question I wanted to ask was the starting point the history or the people or the landscape or, or, or it sounds to me as perhaps it was all three at once it was all three at once. It was such a, a, a strange experience for me because I, like a lot of people, left uh, Northern Ireland when I was quite a young woman. In fact, I was in London by the time I was 17. And I, when I try to write um, in the way people start, you know, start off writing uh, fiction, I, I wrote short stories, but always about my English life. <laughs> and uh, 
would like to report to all of your listeners, never got a single call back, not once in 20 years, got nowhere. And so when I um, then I did a, a creative writing course and they always said, you know, just go back. But I couldn't believe until I started writing how much it had, um, how much I had absorbed. It was really um, surprising. It was a surprising experience. And so when I sat down, all of that, all of those things came together at once. You know, it was like my absolute recall of it was was I mean, astonishing even to me. I couldn't um, I couldn't believe that I had I'd, I'd taken up so much information and remembered the voice and remember. I mean, obviously, I went home a lot, yeah. but I had only lived there for 17 years. But this is what came out, you know, all the sort of, you know, the plants and the seasons and the that, you know, the absolute sort of guts of the place. Mm. which I was desperate to get on the page. You never believe yes. that you've managed it, but I really wanted to get that sort of, you know, visceral feel of it on the page. And and the voices, are, uh, it's very, very vivid. And I mean, the obvious question, it may not be answerable, but um, how autobiographical is it? I mean, maybe that's an impossible question. It's not, it's not very, because I did leave. Um, mm. I did leave and I've never married and I've never had children, but I... I um it was a very common story from my you know childhood and girlhood and that the the secrecy and um the problems of of being brought up in an extreme faith you know that it, it's hard to overstate um just how heavily controlled even Northern Ireland was I mean everyone knows about the Republic but Northern Ireland too from the Catholic point of view was absolutely ruled by the church and the state hand in hand so um the the the, the enormous amount of control was what's uh, what, what was in place and the and the story I mean it's just such a typical story and it's always the girl who suffers mm. you know you you know you make a mistake you have a slip whatever you get pregnant it doesn't take very long and then you your whole life is like slightly dictated by it mm. um and that was very true of Northern Ireland you had to marry or you had to leave mm. that was the only options you had really yeah I'd like to come back to some of that but I, one of the things again that's very striking, one of the strongest threads is the is the tug of war between Mary and her husband, and the grief caused by their non communication and misunderstanding, and of course it becomes a kind of metaphor for the entrenched positions of the Unionists and the Republicans during the Troubles, and I wonder how conscious you were growing up for those seventeen years, of this of this deadlock um and this kind of you know it's easy for an as an outsider to look in and say well why on earth don't the two sides just talk but I wonder how that felt as a young person you know honestly Sarah you we were so unaware we we, we were aware of this enormous block but you, you know you it was in the days before uh, you know the internet or any kind of free, free speech in Northern Ireland of course we had controlled press there was, you know, everyone remembers the classic, you know, <laughs> dubbing of Jerry Adams. I mean, it was just when you think back on that now, it's just so it's like almost funny yes. that they dubbed his voice to rob him of oxygen. You go, that's not really working because all you're doing is drawing attention to the fact that for, for a start, there is a politician like him or not who's not allowed to speak, and you're still reporting what he has to say. I mean, <laughs> there was that kind of madness. But that's that inability to speak and communicate and having no knowledge, a lot of uh, like a lack of emotional hmm. uh, knowledge um, and, and a lack of you know, knowledge about, like about sex or marriage or relationship. Everything was unspoken. 
mm-hmm. absolutely unspoken. And um, there was a, I remember this, uh, you know, there's lots of stories of, of, of girls getting into trouble. But I remember a, a story of a lady who she'd been married for 20 years and she couldn't understand why she wasn't pregnant. But she didn't understand. And neither of them knew, you know, what to do. And it was, you know, she, I remember this kind of terrible, <laughs> tearful story when she finally realized that she'd lost her window to have children because she didn't understand about sex or the fact that you didn't just lie in a bed with your husband. She kept going back to the doctor. And then finally, a new doctor showed up and actually checked um, <laughs> that, you know, what was going on. And, and you know, you think it's it's so farcical in a way, but so terribly sad. Mm-hmm. But all of that, no, any kind of knowledge that you needed to live was withheld. No one talked about their emotions or their needs or or their troubles. You never talked about your troubles. So everyone was terribly, um, you know, kept down and and very, you know, you've, you everybody just looked in. And so there was the, the psychiatric hospitals in Northern Ireland are still full of people. You know, you just burst. You just had to keep everything in and then you just exploded. And then, of course, everybody was slightly appalled by you. It's extraordinary. (laughs) Because you just couldn't carry on. It was a very strange place. It was a very, very strange place. And I... I was the last of uh, five children and I, I had quite a lot old. My parents were older. They were in their mid forties when I was born. And so then I had the additional thing of um, having a much older family, much older parents. And so they were very, very much steeped in that tradition. You mm. never broke. I remember, you know, you know, thinking that there was something wrong with me. If you wanted to cry at funerals, it's absolutely verboten. You do not cry. And it's <laughs> extraordinary. This, um, <laughs> this uh euphemism this word troubles the way where it's sort of you know that's what that's what you call the conflict but it's also girls getting into trouble but actually and i'm sorry for your troubles but we never we we don't sort of go under that it's a sort of real umbrella term yes yeah it's a bit like being being uh, bad with your nerves yeah there was a lot of that it's bad with his nerves you know and you you were never you never find out why or what was actually wrong. It was just, you didn't bother them or, you know, you just left them some food or you know, there was just no detail, but this, um, no detail at all and an enormous amount of atmosphere. You, yes. know, you just, just knew there was so much juice somewhere. You could never access it. You could, nobody would tell, no one ever told you anything when you were a child of my generation. You were just put outside. That's extraordinary. Um, but of course, my goodness, what material for a writer. What <laughs> I'm absolutely no excuse. Keep so writing. When we think of the Troubles, we think of this sort of roughly 30 year period from the late 1960s to the late 1990s. And it's interesting, I, I you talked about it, it's just sort of there as background. And I think I read an interview where you talk about it as, as wallpaper, you know, mm. a lot of the time, you know, it was just sort yes. of there. But then, obviously, there are better and worse um, times and things when things very much come into the foreground. And and for me, as a reader and an outsider, one incident that you paint particularly vividly is the Oma bombing. And I remember so mm. clearly, um, you know, as somebody from the other side of the water, just just hearing about that and being really kind of you know horrified by it. And I just wondered what your memories are of that day where you were and maybe why you why you sort of focused on that why that was such a it feels to me quite a central part of the book yeah I focused on that because uh, the characters in the book then by that stage had children who wanted to be there you know it's that sort of you know we could have been there but we weren't and I wanted to get that in because it was so sad and there were so many there were quite a few children killed that day um, including uh, like a young student who was on a foreign exchange program from Spain 
I, I wanted to get that across. You know, that sort of awful, indiscriminate madness that that just you know it picks out the the civilians. And 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 I put it in the book about the fact that there was a misrepresentation of where the bomb was, and so the security services were doing their absolute best to clear people, but they were clearing them onto the bomb, and that's why it was such a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it was horrific. So, I mean, it was just a perfect storm. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong that day. Um, but it was that it was the fact that it was a festival and that people were feeling the um, that sort of joy of maybe being free again. Everybody was mixed together. You know, it was just a beautiful day. I was in I was actually working in London um, on the mail on Sunday on a shift on the mail on Sunday. And I remember the news coming into the newsroom and I rang my mother and I said, have you heard about about this, you know, this this bomb? Have you heard? My sister lives in Oma. Mm. And so she said, no, I haven't heard anything. And you just so suddenly realize how different it is. It hadn't been reported on the Northern Irish News and was already in London. And so I, um, I rang my sister really quickly and I managed to get back through to my mother before the lines were cut. Because when there is an incident, they cut all of the telephone lines and everything so right across the whole six counties. And so... Again, the days for mobile phones, you see, there was an ability to shut things down. Mm -hmm. But my then my other siblings, uh, my other brother and my other sister couldn't get through. Mm -hmm. So they didn't know for 48 hours if my sister oh. was OK. So it's just that it was that it, that was such a distinct moment for me in, in my life. And the fact that I was so relieved that I could speak to Beth because she had been in the town that morning. She was going on holiday and we had been chatting about books. She said, what am I going to bring with? And she said, oh, I've got a list. And she had actually been in the town. She, she went to go to town and realized it would be packed with people and she didn't go in. Mm. So you think, you know, there, but for the grace of God. And then, of course, all the poor people that got stuck and they're just the scenes were we're just, you know, just shocking. It made, and then it made such a difference. Of course, it really was like the last of the last, and it was a yes. turning point. There was a few other incidents, but that was the one that ended. Everybody yeah. was sickened. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I understand you no longer live in Northern Ireland, um, but I assume you go back to visit family. And I just wonder how how it feels now. How that you know how different is the atmosphere. It feels very uh, different. And it's like everything. When I go on into my own hometown, I know where the the battle lines are still drawn. You know, although we've cleaned up nicely and there are greens where the, you know, barricades used to be and all of that. It's quite funny. It's kind of, but it's very surface. So you have to be in your own town with your own people before you realize. I mean, if I was in some other town, I wouldn't notice probably. Mm -hmm. But once you go back to your own place, you know, you and it is still it's still very segregated. You know, there are besides there's Catholic sides, Protestant, all of the towns, you know, people still live in clumps, you know, parks are still, um, and I mean by that housing estates, I think mm. you call them in England. So, you know, they're still very much divided along those lines. And I don't think there's a lot of crossover still. Still very, very few um, multi-faith schools in mm. Northern Ireland, which mm. is, you know, was sad. But that, that'll, that I suspect that'll continue for, for another few generations. They're still mm. divided much along. And then, of course, once you divide along those lines, then the, you know, people stay divided. You know, yes. if you keep them apart as young people, then they stay apart as adults. So Yes. Someone said to me the other day, it's not about religion, it's about tribe. I don't know how much yes. you agree with that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. yes, I do. Well, all stupidity is to do with tribe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so when you go back, do you feel? Do you feel at home, or do you feel? Is it? Is it one of those things? The longer you stay away, the more of a disconnect there is. 
I think for me, um, I think really, for, same for everyone, I think when you lose your mother, finally, you lose that absolute link. So I, my siblings are there, but we don't have the family house that we were brought up in and and we don't have her. And I think that's a big marker. And and um, after that, you know, you, you're, you're visiting and it's lovely, but it doesn't have that same feeling of home. Mm. Um, and, and the fact that you don't, you know, you don't have a home tech. I don't have a home there now. I mean, I have my siblings, but I, the fact that I don't have a base. And so that that makes a big difference. And you, it loses its draw as a result of that. You know, we tend to meet up in, you know, in much nicer, drier places now that we don't have to go. Right. <laughs> like somewhere a little bit sunny, you know, so you don't, you don't have that um, that draw. But you, increasingly, as you get older or I get older, I think, um, how much I would like to actually travel my own country because mm. when you're when you leave young and you only have a certain amount of time to visit you go back to that house over and over and over again and you never see the rest of the country you see mm. your village and that is it you know and you know a woe betide if you want to actually leave the house you know so it would be quite nice to travel the whole of the mm. country mm. that would be a lovely thing to do you know? yeah yes can we talk about some of the characters? I mean, there's some very beautifully drawn characters. I mean, I love Mary's aunt, Eileen, for example, who's so nearly, well, she did get away, but she still comes back. Um, and then there's Lizzie, who in many ways lives um, what Mary believes is a, is a sort of enviable life, although it's not quite as simple as that. But what about Sadie, Mary's mother? I mean, she is a bit of a monster. Where did she come from? She is a bit of a monster. Yes, she um she's an amalgam of, you know, quite a few, you know, Irish mother monsters. I think um I knew a lot of people. As I say, my mother was quite extreme, but she was not like that. She was much more um she was very, very strict, but she wasn't she wasn't unfair. But I knew a lot of, of girls who had those, you know, kind of monster mothers who it was literally they ruled. And were quite, you know, happily violent. They, it was completely accepted. You know, mm. it was my, again, my people were not like that. But there was plenty of girls who, you know, used to come to school with, you know, busted lips and um, and what have you. And I, so I just took what I knew about those people and put them all together, and then added in that, you know, that sort of real Northern Irish thing that you cannot break rank; you mm. must mm. do as mm. you are told. I mean, it's really you're you're under that sort of pressure. So I just put that into sort of a mother-daughter relationship because, you know, they're always tricky things anyway, mother-daughter relations. And you think how much more tricky if you had someone like that bearing down on you all the time. Mm. And of course, trains this child not to speak. Yes. She's not allowed to speak or feel or, you know, move. And then she has to do as she's told, even though she's, you know, a, a big girl of 16. But she is still forced to do what the mother wants. Yes. You know? Yes, so, I mean it was completely believable while being horrifying, um, and, and I that did like, happen. Yeah, yeah that yes. happens so often. Yeah. yeah, and is she Sadie because she's a sadist, or is that just my imagination? I just yeah, I just like the name, and I like because it is like it's one of those old like country names. Although it's quite sexy now because of Sadie Frost and a yes. few other Sadies that are you know. But when I was a kid, Sadie was one of those you know like old names. You know, yeah. I don't yes. want to name lots of names, but Sadie was one of those terribly yeah. sort of dowdy. Um, the one of those terribly dowdy names you know they always had like you know the terrible you know hair and you know the black shoes and the what have you so there was, there was a few of those knocking yeah. around so yes. kind of, we, called them, we used to have jokes about it being a nun name you yeah know, right. sister Sadie right. so <laughs> and there was a sister Sadie as well so you know obviously it went that went in somewhere so yes yes 
and and Mary herself, I mean, she's she can be a bit infuriating um, to the reader yes. at, at, at sometimes. Was that was that very conscious a decision? Did you, it was. Um, it, it was, and I know that that um, I know that readers don't. You know, they they just what you just want to give her a shake. But I think what I was trying to get what I was trying to get forward is that portrait of of a of a young very inexperienced um, girl, you know, she was a little bit romantic and a little bit silly, you know, and of course, you know, like every 16 year old, she thought she was the only girl who'd ever been, you know, kissed and that it was unusual. And so I wanted to sort of trap her in that, you know, I wanted to trap her in that grief and shock and, you know, horror that she, you know, her life ends basically. And, but, and she's so young and um, doesn't really understand it. In fact, her life, you know, is carrying on and quite nicely because she dreams that there's something better on the, on the mm. other side, which again is a pretty, you know, longstanding human complaint. You, you know, she thinks that if she just had X, Y, and Z, it would be better. But of course, mm. what she doesn't understand that the fa- the life she has is, is, is not terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one but of the things, yeah, yeah w- one of the things that keeps recurring in the book is um the policing of women's behavior and particularly of, of women's bodies. You, you already touched mm-hmm. on that. I wanted to ask you about one particular incident towards the end of the book something uh, there's a shocking and violent assault that takes place um Mm. and I found myself wondering whether you wrote that scene to express something about the particular characters involved a very specific plot thing this happened because of you know what's happened before or if you were making a more universal point about about what it's like as a woman yeah, well, being a woman over there was no picnic. But then I think really uh, during those years, I think being a woman anywhere was was no picnic. And um, I might have been influenced by the I, I was, you know, I was reading a lot. And I just think that that sort of behavior was uh, very, very common. Uh, you know, and there were, again, it was not talked about. It was talked about as, you know, the, the classic phrase. I don't think it was as puerile as that, but they, you know, being interfered with. <laughs> and you just think really this is the best we can do in language um and i just i for the in terms of the characters i thought that it fitted i i needed something um kind of disgusting and brutal to um to you know put the to kind of destroy this woman it's almost like she's sort of remade mm. um but then the key thing is that the man gets away with it mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. so she's had two incidents with met with you know well through you know she's got her husband and so she has these two incidents who are which are wildly different in experience mm-hmm. and tone and 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 how she sets off on her life and then uh and so I just wanted to add that's that's the contrast that I was trying to find mm-hmm. the fact that the, the, these two incidents bookended the life that she didn't want but it was dictated by by the men that she met really yes and and she doesn't um I mean, it's it's still somehow her fault, isn't it? I mean, you know, not only do they still get away with it yeah. publicly, but yeah. in, in her mind also. Yeah. I think well. people, you know, sometimes sometimes you think when you're reading it, uh, you know, yes, you know, she went there, mm-hmm. she went there, and but it was really the, what I was trying to get across was how kind of revolting and petty and spoiled the other character was, mm-hmm. and the fact that he had never changed, mm-hmm. he had never really changed. She had this very high. Um, idea that he was the answer but in fact he was never going to be the answer and then he you know he you know really made that yeah yes yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. so uh, 
again, I think you've touched on this, but the, the Roman Catholic Church looms in this story as a major character, as it clearly you know did in, in Northern Ireland and, and maybe still does. And, and the church doesn't come across well. And I wonder what your feelings are about the role of the church on both sides in Northern Ireland. I mean, is there anything positive to say or... I just think it was on both sides, it was too extreme. And I mean, it's so interesting to look at the world at the moment. You know, you're talking about um, extremes in in religion and uh, at societal level. And um, and then, of course, we had the additional problem that, you know, the you know, the politics and the state and the church were all linked. But it really was bad if you're talking about two Christian faiths basically going hammer and tongs at each other, murdering each other. Um, it's like you say, tribal nonsense for what? You know, mm-hmm. you always have to sit down. You look at sort of the Israel problem now and you think you know, everyone's pushing the, the two state model. And that is the only way it can ever work. If you're dealing with two groups of people, they must get along. Mm-hmm. And so they can murder each other all they want. And the, I mean, insane damage was caused to Northern Ireland every way. Everybody was poor. Uh, the infrastructure was rubbish. The hospitals were terrible. As I said, the psychiatric units were overflowing, mm-hmm. and and the damage from that still is coming down through families. You know mm-hmm. that sort of that fallout that there's this kind of history of violence and um, the suicide rates in Northern Ireland are off the scale. And then at no juncture at, in any of this did the church step in. Did they ever uh, preach against it? Did they ever preach forgiveness or love? The fact that we were all supposed to forgive and love, but they never preached it off the altar. And a lot of the a lot of the Catholic priests, I can't speak for the Protestant faith. I'm, I've heard by report that they were very similar. But the Catholic priests, I mean, some of them are actively preaching this off the altar mm-hmm. and collecting money. You know, it's it was disgraceful. Mm-hmm. And then, of course. Never mind all of the, the 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 thought. You know, we thought we were in a bad enough state, and now look what's happened. They've all been exposed as, you know, corrupt. I mean, and that level of corruption—that's mm. just, uh, you know, it's breathtaking. <laughs> and they did it with such piety. I yes. mean, it's it's hard to swallow. It's really yeah. hard to swallow. And I can see why faith is going down. You know, by the head in Northern mm. Ireland. Yeah. I mean, people still do attend mass. And um, but it's not at the on the same level at all. Not you know, there's and a, of course the priesthood is dying out. Maynooth is closed. Yeah, it's yes. Just... <laughs> there's there's a wonderful moment again without spoiling anything where Mary actually uses some of this to her advantage and and kind of um, uses the system. <laughs> but um, that's a kind of little small, a uh, little small, um, very small, victory very tiny. One, yeah. in, in, yes, in the context <laughs> of her life. But I but I enjoyed that. Um. I just want to ask you, Tish, about the ending. I would plead that we don't give anything away. But one question I have is, was that always how it was going to end? Or were you uncertain as you were writing it? Did it did it emerge as you wrote it? Or did you always know what the ending was going to be? I think I always wanted to bring it to that conclusion. It's a, you know, it's a lot to, to put a character through, uh, what she came through in her life, I think. And then no, I definitely wanted that ending. I, I, to to me, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think to, to to do the the opposite would have uh, would have you know really infuriated any anyone reading it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to drag them through every hedge in County Tyrone. Yes. You know, yeah. you got. <laughs> I I just think I I think it worked for me, and I wanted that. I wanted you know something uh, something yes. positive. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I I have to say I I agree. I really like the ending. Um, that's wonderful. So I, we've been discussing before my actual heartbreaks, and I've been talking with the author Tish Delaney, and you can read an introductory essay and some questions for um, book club discussions in the Church Times and online. And Tish, before you go, I always ask our guests to recommend something they've read recently that they think our readers might enjoy. Do you have something in mind? I do. I'm very happy to announce that we um part of the Alderney Literary Festival in the Channel Islands where I live. And um, we have a wonderful writer uh, coming down called Melissa Fu. And I have just read her book, Peach Blossom Spring, because I'm going to have the pleasure of interviewing her at the, uh, in the end of March. Uh, it's a lovely book. Uh, it's about the history of modern China. Uh, my favorite, you know, told through the story of one family. And it's it's a beautiful read, beautiful language, great story, you know, from China through to America. It's grown Peach Blossom Spring by Melissa Fu. Thank you. It sounds fascinating. Tish Delaney, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to The Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.